Please welcome, help me welcome our speaker, Hector. Hector alcoholic. And you will hear me. I'm a big mouth. Uh, thank you, Tony, for asking me to speak. Thank you, David, for recommending me. This is, brings memories from when I was new. I used to come here Thursday nights. It was, the meeting was called the Gong Show. If you don't know what the Gong Show is, just think Jerry Springer. Okay? And it was in the list of my uh, meetings to come to. Uh, this is a short talk, about 30, 35 minutes, so I'm going to give you a very brief uh, drunk log, and I'm going to talk about God and the steps. If you don't want to hear about God and the steps, pretend to go for coffee and leave, okay? Uh, uh, there are many people here that I know for many, many years, and I love them. It's so good to see you, you know? I remember the shrink who sent me here 32 years ago. He said there are people who are healing faces. And when you are in their presence, you feel better. Quite a few of them are here. I'm going to tell you my story. Remember, whatever I say from the podium is just my experience and my opinion. Unfortunately, I happen to be very opinionated. And I may be wrong, but I'm never in doubt. I was born in Argentina, in poverty. Poverty in America is middle class all around the world, okay? This is not poverty. Dirt floors, no bathroom, no running water. Uh, both my parents were very illiterate, and they were both very violent. My mother used to chain me to a sewing machine. It was nothing personal, really. Uh, she, also, she also chained my kid sister and the dog. She was an equal opportunity chainer, okay? <laughs> My father was more violent, but he did it less often. So since I was eight years old, I knew I was coming here. I was in love with you people. When I was 24, I came here. Oh, by the way, I came here legally, okay? <laughs> so don't get any funny ideas. If you don't like my pitch, you cannot call immigration. I, uh, I am an American citizen now. Um, I came here. I was in advertising. I worked really, really hard. I became a graphic designer. Um, I made a little money. Uh, within 18 months, I saved enough money only in America in 1961. A stupid kid from Argentina can save enough money working on a job for $90 a week and go to Europe for uh, four months. And I visited nine countries. I saw every museum, every statue. I saw Michelangelo, Da Vinci, and it gave me an education. Because you see, in my house, we have no paintings on the walls. Because when you don't have money to eat, you don't spend the money on a Da Vinci, okay? <laughs> so, and I came back, and I wanted to socialize. They told me in order to socialize, you had to go to a bar. I'd never been to a bar, so I prepared myself because I'm very anal. I do things properly. I rehearsed in front of a mirror how to order a drink, you know. And I had a thick accent then, okay? So, excuse me, please. May I have wiki, please? Wiki, please. Half an hour in my Brooks Brothers suit, 
in front of the mirror, practicing how to order a drink. And I walked into this bar. It looked like a Mormon bar because all the guys were tall in dark suits with dark ties, you know, and blonde hair. I said, my God, must be a Mormon bar. Uh, I didn't know the Mormons don't drink, but uh, Mormons were the only Americans that I knew. They used to come to a little town in Argentina to try to change us from unhappy little Catholics to unhappy little Mormons. Okay? So I said, Wiki, please, Wiki, please. The bartender got pissed and he didn't understand and he put a little glass about this stall. It was a shot glass. I've never seen a shot glass in my entire life. I've never been to a bar. So why should you give me such a little glass? Maybe it's because I'm short. You know what I mean? I don't know. But I t- swallowed the whole thing in one take and almost died. It came out of my ears, my nose. And somebody standing next to me says in Spanish, Por qué no prueba Cuba Libre? Why don't you try Cuba Libre? Oh, easy to pronounce. Cuba Libre, por favor, Cuba Libre. Rum and Coke, I loved it. I'm addicted to sugar. That's why I go to the other program. And, uh, and from then on, I drank everything with Coca-Cola. Uh, scotch and Coke. Vark and Coke. And finally, I graduated to my drink of choice, sangria and Coke. Don't go. You don't know. Wait until you try it, you know? So anyway, uh, I had achieved the American dream. I had the apartment, I had the furniture from Bloomingdale's, hand-cut crystal, and I committed my first suicide. I was always unhappy, and I did not know why. You told me why when I came here. You told me I was looking for a material solution to a spiritual problem. And you told me nothing, nothing that I see with my eyes can fix my insides, nothing. Not the relationship, not the car, not the house, not the bank account. The solution is in page 45 of our book. Lack of power, that was our dilemma. Well, that's exactly what this book is about. Its main object, main object, is to help us to find a power greater than ourselves that will solve our problem. Not our alcoholic problem, but any problem. But I did not know that. And I kept drinking more and more. I had two, three more suicide attempts. I thought, I know what's going to fix you. I'm going to become the greatest actor who ever lived. I was going to do Richard III in London better than Olivier. <laughs> That's kind of difficult when you can't speak English. <laughs> and I became an actor, and I went to Broadway. We won all the awards on Broadway with Sticks and Bones in 1973. Oh, and I was always you know, crawling around my apartment asking God to kill me. And one day I woke up at 2 o'clock in the afternoon sleeping on the floor. I had urinated on myself and I had a moment of clarity. I realized what my problem was. My problem is New York. (laughs) So I had to move to a more caring, loving, nurturing place. So I moved to Hollywood. But when I tell this joke in Minnesota, they don't get it. (laughs) Anyway, and I was successful in the 70s and 80s, you know. I uh, was a Latino guy with a big afro, big black mustache. I was always killing people in television, molesting women, pimping women, selling children, you know. I've been handcuffed on TV more times than the Menendez brothers, okay? 
So finally, I shot myself. They rushed me to the hospital, and I was in the hospital, and my agent didn't send me flowers. And I'm very sensitive. You don't send me flowers, I'll teach you a lesson. I'll kill myself. And I took the pills, and my friend Francine uh, um, brought me about 40 of them, and I was dead for three days, basically. I was in coma for three days. They had to revive me twice. And I had everything. I had a brand new Mercedes, the most beautiful clothes you've ever seen, a beautiful apartment, a beautiful view of Hollywood. I had enough money in the bank to live for a whole year without working. One thing I didn't have, I did not have Hector. I didn't know who I was. One of you described me when I came to AA. He said about himself, I was a huge ball of fear covered with a little human skin. And if you remember in the big book, in the fourth step, the last column is fear, 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 fear. Fear is like an overwhelming quality of all alcoholics. It robs us of our lives. My shrink sent me here 33 years ago, and I've been, May 8th is going to be 33 years. And I love AA, you know. Uh, I don't say AA is my life. AA is not my life, nor do I ever want it to be my life. AA is my way of life. I don't live in AA meetings. I live out there. But here you gave me the tools to live out there. Okay? And I tell the guys I sponsor, it's okay to give AA only 10% of your life. Just make sure it's the first 10%. Because when I'm connected to the indwelling power of God, then everything else is really much easier. I just heard in the tape that I was listening while coming here, he says, God is not a problem solver. But when we live in the consciousness of God, conscious contact, all the problems are diminished. Because we know. Remember 10 years ago that problem you had? Oh, you don't even remember it now. So, anyway... I don't know how many minutes I have, but I think I'm going to talk about the steps. When I came to AA, I had a problem with God. My God was a Catholic God. And he looked like Charlton Heston, and he behaved like Leona Hemsley. <laughs> so I had to find a God that I could use. And I read a great deal of spiritual literature, and I found this definition of God that helped me. You know, Joel Goldsmith is a giant, spiritual giant. And he says, regardless of how high my concept of God is, it is wrong. Because still a concept. Eventually I have to lose all concepts and reach a consciousness, like conscious contact, the consciousness that God is. And leave the subject alone because with the mind, I'm never going to understand what God is. How can I understand a spiritual entity that takes care of 7 billion people at the same time? And the big book says the same thing on page 46. Even though it was impossible for any of us to fully define or comprehend that power which we call God. And it tells us where to find this God, you know. We found, page 55, we found the great reality God deep down within us. In the last analysis, it is only there that he may be found. It was so with us, quote, unquote. But you taught me here, instead of trying to define God, it's much more important for me to see God in everything and everybody. 
I had to see you in spite of all the characters you have and I have as a child of God. You see, I have to practice that. And the book says the same thing. God is everything or else he is nothing. Think about that. What a profound statement. God is everything or else is nothing. God is this table, this mic, this building, and of course, you. So, and the wonderful thing that it tells us, that God is deep down inside of us. This loving God, unlike religious God, this loving God that we have here in AA is deep down inside of all of us. That means that God is very portable. You see, wherever you are, God and you are one. So that's what I have to, to remember. They told me that the 12 steps are to achieve sobriety. Yes. The end result of working the steps is sobriety. For me, just for me. And remember, whatever I say from the podium applies only to me. Not to you. This is what I believe, and this is what I share. But to me, the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous are spiritual tools to develop a conscious contact with God. And if I do that, the obsession will be removed. It's on page 32, 32 12 and 12. The fact was we really had not cleaned house so that the grace of God could enter us and expel the obsession. Therefore, we remain self-deceived. And so incapable of receiving enough grace to restore us to sanity. So that's what I had to do. Clean the channel. That's all I am. A channel through which God can shine. Because the book says God could and would. It doesn't say Hector could and would. My sponsor could and would. My mommy, my boyfriend, my girlfriend. No, God could and would if he were sought. And mind you. The word recovery is not in the 12 steps. The word sobriety is not in the 12 steps. But there is one word that's mentioned in the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. Check it out when you go home. That word is God. Alcohol is cunning, baffling, and powerful. But there is one, capital O. There's one that has all power. Not 50%, not 70%, but all power. That one is God. May you find him now. And then they list the 12 steps. The first step says, I have a problem, powerlessness. The second step is the solution, the power of God. The third step is I have to turn my will and my life over to the care of God. What is my will? It's my thoughts. The great master said thousands of years ago, as a man thinketh in his mind, so is he. The book says the same thing on page 23. The main problem with the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than his body. Whatever I put in here, it will manifest in my life. As within, as without. This is a mold. This is a mold. What is my life? My life is my action, the sum total of my action. Emerson said it beautifully. Your action speaks so loud, I can hear what you're saying. That's what our book says, action, action, and more action. And the book says, I'm blocked from the sunshine of the spirit. What are my blockages? My character defect. I had to do four and five. Four and five is a relationship with myself. Then I go to do the home and do six and seven, and then I do eight and nine. Eight and nine is my relationship with all of you, the people that I hurt while I was uh, drinking. And then come ten, our daily tool. 
Bill Wilson knew we were alcoholics, and as alcoholics, we're going to screw up on a daily basis. So he gave us a daily tool. When we were wrong, not when they were wrong, when I am wrong. Do you notice that the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous doesn't have a chapter about them? And explains it very well on page 90 of the 12 and 12. Every time, we are dis- uh, uh, every time we're disturbed, no matter what the cause, there's something wrong with us. Even if somebody hurts us and we are sore about it, we're in the wrong also. I hate that crap. <laughs> that means I cannot blame you for anything. So, and after 10 comes prayer and meditation. My friend Harvey you should have him, Harvey J., which is a great speaker, says, Prayer is when we talk to God. When we hear the voice of God talking back to us, it's called schizophrenia. <laughs> um, the book says, Pray only. Pray only for God's will and the power and the power to achieve that will okay what does it say that because i don't know what my will is i don't know i thought having a mercedes was my will being on television and having rough lauren suits and i got all that and i ended up dead for three days in intensive care unit so obviously i don't know what is my will so i pray i pray to god and the book says that god is our new found friend If I have a new friend, in order to develop a loving relationship with my friend, I have to talk to you. So I have to talk to my God. And it's okay we do all these ritual prayers that we have, but it's much more important that I talk to this God which is inside of me. And then I go into meditation. I close my eyes. There are many kinds of meditation. And let go of the world, the conditions and circumstances. Because I don't live there. Uh Uh-uh. I live in here. This has to be cleansed. This has to be remodeled. You see? To hear the still small voice. And somebody said at a meeting, well, people who hear that voice are crazy. Really? But people talk about all the time in the air about the steering committee they have here. So it's okay to hear 15 voices, the committee, right? But not the one spiritual voice. Sometimes I get a message, sometimes I don't, I don't get it. But when I meditate, my day is a little easier, a little more tranquil. Because I realize, and this is probably the most important part of my message... Whatever I came here looking for, I came with it inside of me. That's it. Love is inside of me. Success is inside of me. Uh, Power is inside of me. Kindness is inside of me. It cannot come from you. People think if they're going to find her or him, they're going to be okay. Uh Uh-uh. That's the way, the ego's way says, seek but do not find. Remember... All marriages in America, 50% end up in divorce. So obviously it's a precarious source of happiness, marriage. My marriage had to come from inside my peace, 
my peace has to come from inside me, from my relationship with my higher power. You can add to my happiness, but you cannot be the source of my happiness. That's Chuck Chamberlain used to say that. And then comes, you know, uh, service. Service. After after we work the preceding 11 steps, we'll give you a title here, newcomers. We'll give you a title. It's called Humble Servant. We in A are servants. We serve. It's wonderful, however you sound from the point, you can sound like Mother Teresa or Muhammad Gandhi, right? But if I don't have my commitments, if I'm not helping somebody else, my program is worth, worth caca. Nothing. The book says, faith without works is dead. That's pretty clear, isn't it? That's why I still have three commitments. I still sponsor people. I still call my sponsor. I still study this. This is a phenomenal book. I'm a minister, okay, in a non-denominational fellowship. And everything that I have in that book, 640 pages, is said here in 164 pages, more succinct and to the point. I also have 150 spiritual books in my house, or maybe more. All of that is here. This is an incredible book. Incredible book. And um, I have a great life. And it's a successful life. But I also know that my happiness doesn't come from my Mercedes or my Cadillac or the beautiful home or the homes. You know what I have? It comes from a different source. When I had my last suicide attempt, I had a new Mercedes. It didn't help me. So my happiness, my peace comes from my relationship with the indwelling power of God. I think I have about 10 minutes. I, uh, oh, yeah, I have 10 minutes. Um, I'm going to talk about my parents. They were very violent. They were ignorant. And I was afraid of them. My first dream as a child, I have 10 minutes, right? Yes? Oh, I don't have to rush. (laughs) Okay. Uh, I detested them. I was afraid of them. I wouldn't be caught dead with my parents on the street. They were illiterate. They were foreigners. They had accents. They dressed funny, and they smelled even worse. You see, we had no bathroom in my house. So I would never be caught that. And I was very ashamed of my house. If you came to pick me up at 5 o'clock to go play basketball, at quarter to 5, I would be outside waiting for you. I don't want you to see the way we live. My home was not a clean home. But now, my home is impeccable. And I didn't have a bathroom when I was a kid. I had three bathrooms in my house. And they're always clean. And I'm fanatical about it. You know. And um, so when I was about three years sober, <laughs> I did inventory of my mom. And yes, she chained me. She did that a few times. Yes, at times she was violent. And I was afraid of her. Uh, sometimes when I go to sleep, I do something mischievous, not smoking pot or joining a gang, okay? Maybe she heard me cursing somebody, said, I'm not going to chase after you. You have to come sleep. So when I was sound asleep at 1 o'clock in the morning, she would wake me up and beat me up with a shoe or a piece of wood. 
So I was a very frightened kid. I was always bubbly because I was trying to, you know, hide who I was. So, but when I was five years old, we didn't have money for a Christmas tree. So mom got a broomstick, some wire, some green paper, made a Christmas tree. Four branches, five branches, six branches. She went out with a quarter and bought four Christmas balls and a pointer. But guess what? I had a Christmas tree. And every year it got a little bit bigger. Right? When I was 12 years old, it is a fashion in Argentina to buy the boy a bicycle. We were poor. We were really poor. Mom worked from 5 o'clock in the morning until 11 o'clock at night. Every day of the year are two jobs. And father had another job. And we still were poor. There was no welfare in Argentina then. So when I was 12, Christmas Day, I woke up and I had a gorgeous bicycle from, imported from Italy. Painted in light green, metallic, the best bicycle money could buy. Better than the rich kids. And then I realized by studying, you know, the inventory and talking to my sponsor that she was doing the best she could with the tools she had. My father beat her up. She sometimes beat us up. And you know, unfortunately, unlike us, she didn't get a set of spiritual tools. She married one when she was 16. She was illiterate. She never went to school. Some of us don't get it at home, but we are blessed to go to high school, some of us college, would get some knowledge there. She didn't have that. She only had my father, who was very violent and, you know, ignorant. And yes, she was not perfect. Neither I am. Neither am I. And I made a lot of mistakes in sobriety. And I had to make amends. Somebody said the desire for perfection is a desire for failure because there is no 10. Only God is a 10. And he doesn't have to, have to go to our meetings. <laughs> so I sent her a ticket. She had never been on a plane. This little peasant from Italy, she landed in, in Los Angeles when I had my apartment. And she walked into my house, and she had a 12-feet-tall Christmas tree, real pine, decorated in her favorite colors, pink and red. And she had 33 presents underneath the Christmas tree. 33 presents. We overdo things in AA. (laughs) And I told my mom how much I loved her. And I thanked her for sending me to school, drawing lessons, to send me to the gym, buying me, I always had new books, gym clothes, and never, never, ever, I mentioned what she did wrong. We don't do that in AA. We take care of this side of the street. And three years later, I brought it back with my sister, Olga, and we had even a bigger ball. We just had a great time. And I overheard this conversation between my mom and my sister, Olga, that were preparing the food, and my mom said, Olga, you know what I wish for all the mothers on the world, of the world? And he said, what? He said, that all of them could have a son like my Hector. And that relationship was healed because I worked the steps. I worked the steps. But still, when I visited my mother, I could take her only for an hour. Then I had to go, <laughs> okay? Okay. 
okay? I, I am not Mahama Gandhi, okay? It's progress, not perfection. When my father, I hadn't heard from him for 14 years, so when I had 14 years sobriety, I got a letter from Syria. I think he moved there and had remarried, and the letter said, How you doing, son? I haven't heard from you in such a long time. Of course he hadn't. I didn't know where he was. He said, Oh, I just wanted to say hello. Also, one more thing. Can you send me some money because I had to pay some taxes and I don't have it? You write to me after 14 years to ask me for money? And the letter continued. Oh, one more thing, the letter said, you know. My family here says if nobody talks to me from the other side of the ocean, I must have done something wrong. And if I did, I apologize. Ha! Did you do something wrong? And I began writing back and listing everything he did wrong. And I have four pages now, and this is all true, because I'm in AA and I don't lie, okay? So it's a long list. And then I made a mistake. I asked an old-timer sitting over there, you see that lady with the dark glasses, what to do? And she said, Hector, Hector, would you rather be right? Or would you rather be at peace? I'd rather be right. I waited 50 years for this crap. But you know, cameras, they brainwash you here, so be careful. So I sent the letter, but it was not enough. So I went back to my shrink, the one who sent me to AA, after two sessions. You have to go to Syria and visit your father. You don't know your father. Are you crazy, Mike? Syria's full of Syrians. I hate them. I don't want to go to Syria. They all look like my father. Well, but, you know, I called him on the phone. He said, I'm senile. I said, I'll be there on such and such a date. And I landed in Damascus. And this giant that used to beat me up, and I was so afraid of him. I was terrified of this man. It's about this tall. This little old man, bald-headed, wispy wife, hair, baggy pants, walking towards me. Crying, sobbing. And he embraces me, starts kissing me all over my face. And I am sobbing. And I'm asking myself, who is this man? I don't know this man. My father worked and fought with my mom. He couldn't help me with uh, schoolwork. He was illiterate. And then he grabbed me by the hand like I'm a five-year-old, put me in a taxi and took me to his village. This very, 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 very poor village. His house was the only one with a toilet. And he told me his story. His father was about 17 years old. His mom was about 16. They never went to school. He never went to school. He grew up like a little animal in the village, then went to Argentina, married my crazy mother. How was he going to know how to be a loving, caring, nurturing father? He had no idea, but he loved me. He really loved me. I did not, just did not love him. I don't want any Luther peasant from Syria. I want Bill Gates. You know what I mean? What is this? And God said, no, 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 Hector. This is your dad. This is the one you have to love. And I spent eight days with him. And he loved me so much. He made me dress in this three-piece suit. I don't know why I took a three-piece suit to Syria. And uh, sat me in the kitchen. 
and put steak in front of me, which is very expensive there. It's like a caviar here. And he invited all the villagers from the village to come and say hello to my son Hector from America. And all the villagers came in and shook my hand. That's how much he loved me. A blind beggar, smelly blind beggar with no shoes, walked into the room. And my father guided his hand to touch my face so that he too may know what his son looked like. That's how much he loved me. And I spent eight days with him. I photographed him. I, uh, I filmed him. And at the airport when I was leaving, we were both sobbing because I knew I was never going to see him again. He was in his 80s. And I said, Daddy, I love you very, very much. And I'm so proud that you're my daddy. And he said, no, 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 son. And he grabbed my face and kissed me all over and says, no, no. I'm much more proud of you. I'm so proud of what you accomplished, what you've done with your life. And this visit to my little village is the most precious gift in the world. Nothing could make me happier. Now I can die in peace. And we hugged and sobbed and sobbed, and I left. And I came to my country, America. And when I came here, something was revealed to me. Something very small. I always looked like a man. I dressed like a man. I accomplished like a man. I sounded like a man. But inside myself, I was a 12-year-old child emotionally. That's when I got out of, I went to high school, and I, I never lived in the house with those people. They cannot be my parents, you know. And after I saw my father, I don't hate him anymore, you know. I smiled. He did the best he could with the tools he had. We are taught here how to live. We're taught here a way of life, how to respect others, how to love, how to keep our mouth shut. Somebody said, nothing is open more unnecessarily than the mouth. <laughs> and then I read, I don't know where, what a real man is. And this head of a college said, a real man, or a real woman, the same, a real man is somebody who is at peace with himself. It's nothing to do with what I drive, what I have. It has to do with peace. That's why the beautiful prayer we have in the 12 and 12, the same Francis prayer said, God, make me a channel of thy peace, that where there is hatred, I may bring love. That where there is darkness, I may bring light. But the first spiritual condition is, make me a channel of thy peace. Because if I'm like this, and, uh, God cannot reach me. And isn't it funny that the 11th step, the first 11th step, end up in silence. Prayer, meditation, silence. And I thought about it. Why silence? Because silence is the language of God. We are best to be reached when we are quiet, when we are at peace. 
You see, and that's a, my, my uh, email address is peace now, you know, because that's what I desire the most. You see, there's a problem with me. I have to take me everywhere. And unless I develop some sort of spiritual feeling inside, everything affects me differently. But when I'm connected to the indwelling power of God, I'm really more at peace, more tranquil. And I come from a point of view of fulfillment because everything that I need is inside of me. So when I encounter you, I'm different. I don't succeed all the time. I'm very imperfect. But I'm at least 75 better than what you walked here. Why? Because you're my teachers. You taught me. You guided me. You reassure me. You know, somebody sent from the podium, and I'll shut up. He said, I came here to stop drinking, and your beautiful, beautiful people taught me how to live. God bless you, and I love you. <laughs> <laughs>